Welcome back to DJ Coffee Talk. Today we sit down and share a cup of coffee with Alex Bochelle, who is a musician and candle creator from Washington, D.C. How did we feel about our interview with Alex Bochelle? I was, I mean, I go into, I try to go to interview with everybody with like an open mind, but I was like very shocked talking to Alex when he told us about his story. A lot and a little. Yeah. We go into things, we can only do so much research to see something about someone's life. Because contrary to popular belief, not everyone puts every detail of their life on social media and every interest. Yeah, no, you (laughs) wish though. Um, But we didn't see it. I mean, some of the preliminary research with Alex, we didn't see everything. Yeah. And how much depth to his personality that he had and such a genuine, interesting human he was to Mm -hmm. talk to, you know? Yeah. All the way down to like what he studied in college like he's a computer scientist and um just decided to make an entire like redirection and recalibration in his life off of the feelings the music gave him mm. was so motivating or made him feel so connected to himself that he redirected his life to focus on music production yeah. which is interesting because computer science is a really cush degree in my mm-hmm. opinion in a lot of ways he goes from such a like a, a directed path, like taking a leap into essentially nothingness. At the time, he made the decision. Like he had a little bit of uh, background in music, but not much. He was just like, I'm, I don't want to live my life inauthentically, mm-hmm. um, and just going off of that feeling, decided to start building his life off of things that felt right to him. And it's like looking at it as a picture from the outside, which is the only thing we can do before talking to him. He's like, here's this guy that makes. You know, this interesting EDM music and um, he makes candles, he likes cats and it's just like these <laughs> amal- amal- a pilot's man of beer. <laughs> amalgamation? Is that amalgamation? Amalgamation yeah. of a bunch of like just random things. Um, but it's really cool. Throughout the conversation, we kind of see how uh, Alex pieced those things together after saying, fuck it, essentially. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people did that recently too, you know, with the pandemic and everything going on, it made people reflect on their lives in a lot of ways. It's interesting. He took that dive pre-pandemic too. Yeah. Um, But I think a lot of ways people in the last year have had to reflect on how they direct their lives, how they live their lives, the values of their lives, the vision that's directing their lives. Mm -hmm. Kind of is how we got into this in the first place, you know, starting the podcast. We started this podcast last year, right at the intense, you know, beginning of the pandemic. I don't know about you. I was feeling like I was living inauthentic in quite a few ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't feeling like there were many logs on my fire yeah. burning to make me feel excited in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we talked about doing this for a while and we said, fuck it, let's go for it. Yeah. And it just it makes you wonder like how many, how many people are out there. And I mean, we're still in this group. Like I think everybody has those things on their mind that they want to do, but there's X, Y, Z things that, we, we place in our own ways um, for reasons why we don't do X, Y, and Z when it could be as simple as let's start it today, you know? And yeah. That's what we did with the podcast. That's what Alex did. He moved into his car and he's like, I'm going to make music. I'm going to produce. I'm going to make candles. Yeah. <laughs> Just does it, you know? It's, mm. We overcomplicate things as humans. Yeah. I'm going to botch the quote. Uh-huh. Uh, botch away. Yeah. Yes, but the difference between one day and day one is like a mindset shift. It's, mm. like a, it's a decision. I think a really cool part about Alex's story is how he's able to grow his like his community by how much? By how much? Uh, by five 
thousand percent in get out of town <laughs> that's really it's impressive five thousand percent in 2020 and it uh is that the viewer base is that how you found that uh, i found that off of an instagram post <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> yeah no wait there no, no, i got off his website okay yeah. all right well i'd boast about that shit if i grew five thousand yeah, percent in 2020 well you mean the activity was through the roof he's creating way more music yeah at a yeah. year he just was more getting in his stride mm-hmm. you know and just really coming out more as an artist which yeah. was awesome to see what's his community called ab fam ab fam um which one of the ab fam made the logo for alex but yeah you know, it's pretty fucking cool yeah one of his like longtime viewers yeah that's pretty it's awesome the song that we're going to preview today is called orno um it's one of alex's more popular hits um, really showcases his ability to produce, um, to produce, sorry. Um, I really just love the track. It's solid, but it's also, um, what he did his coffee break centered around and he did something new. He's the first person on DJ coffee talk. Um, alarm sounds going off <laughs> that, <Doo-doo. laughs> um, that did kind of a breakdown his tutorial. He opened up his, uh, DAW, his system and showed us literally, um, not only how he made the track, and some of the elements in the track, why those elements are important, and kind of just the overall feel and what he was feeling when he made the track. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really cool video. I'm excited to, for us to share it with you guys, and I'm really happy that Alex took the chance instead of just, um, which mixes are great, don't get me wrong, but um, tried something different and um, did something kind of creative for the coffee break. Here's a clip from Arono, written and produced by Alex Bochel, with lyrics featuring Anna Luther. Don't go too far because we jump right into conversation with Alex right after the clip. show um so this man is a twitch live streaming gamer music producer cat dad and full-time chandelier um which i believe is the correct way of pronouncing a candle maker um but he's here to share a cup of coffee with us um alex you seem to have a wide range of interests but i think it's really interesting that you kind of weave them together in a fairly seamless way just kind of pick things from different aspects of your life and kind of make it uh, one thing. Um, so to start us off, how do things like making music, making candles, 
Um, how did that come together in your world? Because they seem like fairly different things. It, it's all, like music is the base for everything. Mm-hmm. So anything that I add on top of it, whether it be candles or gaming or whatever, it has to make sense. Uh, it has to be able to push the music part of my career forward. Um, so I started with just purely just trying to be an artist. Uh, one of the things that artists need to do to have some sort of income at the beginning is to sell merchandise because streaming royalties are really small until you're pretty far into the game. Uh. And so I wanted to get creative with the merchandise. And I thought, well, heck, uh, I love candles. I had just recently found the Woodwick candles, which are the candles that crackle when they burn. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. It sounded like a mini fireplace. And part of my brand is like fairy lights and string lights around everything. And I thought, okay, well, fire, that's a light. Uh, I can name the candles after my songs, have them have similar scents. And I figured that'd be a good way to make some income with the, the few people that did like my music. And then people who didn't like my music started to get into them too. So then I started selling them to people who had no idea who I was as an artist. Then I thought, well, maybe I'll try a farmer's market. So I did that. And then I did another farmer's market. And it's just kind of turned into both a big piece of my artist brand, but also a sustainable business by itself. That's so interesting. So it started out mutually as just merchandise. You weren't like trying to make it into like a candle business. Huh. Nope. It's still technically under just the music business okay. itself, so it's not even in the eyes of the law separate, but it is for some people. But yeah, it started off being just part of it. That's really cool. Is there a reason it's not separate in the eyes of the law, or is that just because it's how it's progressed? Because I, I didn't feel like having two bank accounts for okay, two different uh, <laughs> sources of income. <laughs> hey, man, keep business simple, you know? Yep. Why, I why figure... Make, yeah. Why make exactly. it complicated? Exactly. Right on. Um, I like the idea that um, you were talking about before we hopped on, um, that you have, like, the QR code um, on the back of the candles. That's, I feel like, such a unique aspect of... Um, well, any product that's really cool like candles i've never seen a candle with a qr code i'm sure they exist but it's really cool yeah i saw i mean i've seen it on other things there's like a brand of seltzer water that has a spotify qr code and there's a wine that has a spotify qr code but those were always sort of disappointing because it was never directly related to you know that thing it was just a random playlist made by the company um, so I thought, well, I can take this a step further and have the QR code go to a playlist that is like all the songs are the candles, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also, instead of just sending them to a playlist, I decided to put a link tree in uh, the QR code. So if they scan the QR code, they can either go to the music, they can go to a landing page that gives them a chance to win a free candle, or they can go buy the candles. So the idea is everyone that has a candle has an easy way to like get back into the... Uh, ecosystem of either the candles or the music and it's worked decently well i mean pe- people do listen to that playlist so i guess i guess that's a win <laughs> yeah let's show you something it's so interesting it's like um innovating something as old as a candle i don't know how old candles are but modernizing it's pretty fun yeah definitely yeah pretty innovative do you have any um people that in, like inspire you like any people that have like innovated that you're like oh Maybe not obviously steal their ideas, but like innovators that have inspired you. Like idolize any individuals you idolize. 
Yeah, well, there's actually one person very in particular uh, for the candle one. She was a, an, she was like a Celtic heavy metal artist. And she did a bunch of YouTube tutorials on how she marketed her music. And then she decided to get into candle making. Mm-hmm. But with her candles, she decided to make the candles not related to her music at all. Um, but her candles were branded very specifically. They were all like mythical and there was, like goblins and trolls and stuff. And I thought that was super cool. Like I'd never seen candles that had that kind of very specific branding in them. Yeah. Um, and I had never seen someone market candles as well as, as she did. Uh, a lot of people that do candle businesses, it's not like a full-time thing. It's like a hobby. And so they're not really aggressively marketing, mm-hmm. but she was, and she used like your email list and she uses all the social media accounts and it all just works so well. And she brought her candle business from like nothing to seven figures within the course of like a year and a half. I was like, wow. that is amazing. Obviously, I'm not planning on doing that. I don't have all of the marketing talents that she has gotten over the last, you know, however many years she's been doing it. But that inspired me a lot. That made me think that it would actually be a sustainable thing for me to do to support myself with yeah. the music stuff. So interesting how you can game business like that, too. Like, you can have a specific strategy and then you hit the jackpot. Or like, who would expect candles of all things, but she made it work and branded it and added it all. So yeah. unique flair she made out of it like that, which is so interesting. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Because I I wouldn't have expected anything like that either. And the more that I thought about it and the more that I basically looked into what the business model is for candle making, it makes so much sense. I mean, you make a candle for a third of the price that you sell it for. It takes maybe a five hundred dollar investment to start up a candle business. Yeah. So tiny investment to start up, a pretty good profit margin that people are willing to pay for like for handmade candles people are willing to buy those um and while all of the young entrepreneurs are focused on like huge big tech things or like making this crazy new product like th- some of the obvious things go overlooked like candles <laughs> yeah yeah you know selling a physical product as opposed to something online that is the hot thing to do yeah it's almost like there's a structure to a good business model there's a structure like there's a certain structure if applied correctly and practically creates a certain outcome mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter if it's big tech or like candles it'll just work you know yeah interesting if it innovates correctly that's very, very, very cool. It's like Plato in his forums. We're going to bring it there. I got to use a degree for something, Alex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like the forums, and it's like the form of a, a good business. And then that's all you're reaching for, as opposed to, like you were to your point, we're saying sometimes people get lost and looking for the big, big thing. And then sometimes it's, it's right there. It's just how you apply it step by step, which I think might be a good transition to talking about, you know, you and your experience in music and you deciding to jump into that pool. You saw the big, big thing, you know, which is the music industry. And then what made you just say, I'm going to take the practical step to get into this. It was, it seemed like it was a long time coming. I, I got my first, do you know what paper jams guitars are? Mm-hmm. It's like a plastic guitar that had like five notes you could play. Yeah. And you would just like press this button to make a strum sound. And I got one of those for Christmas huh. when I was in like eighth grade. And I started writing 
heavy metal songs with those five notes and I would yes. I figured out how to hook it up into my computer and I sang screamo vocals I recorded my iPod touch had like a drum set and so I recorded that and I just had this a three track song my screamo vocals the paper jams guitar and my drum kit on my phone and it was it I wish I still had the recording. It was so, so ridiculously bad. But I was like, how cool is it that I made that? Like, I don't care that it sounds so terrible. Like, I I dedicated an afternoon to making this awesome, like, well, not awesome, but this Screamo song. Yeah. And so from there, I started getting really into, um, like, punk rock. Like, more of that pop punk rock. I love Sum 41. They're all, they've been my favorite band for a while. Yeah. But I learned how to play some of their songs on the piano. And then my parents bought me a guitar when I went to high school. I started writing music in high school, never recorded it, always wanted to like play guitar in a band, but that kind of thing seemed to be dying out, and I wasn't a great guitarist. I loved the, making the music, but I, I wasn't amazing at playing it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put it all on the back burner. But later in high school, I started selling people or selling 8-bit songs to people, like chiptune songs from like Super Mario Bros. So that kind of style, I would make them and I would write it for other people's games or intros to their YouTube videos. And I made a little bit of money on Fiverr doing that. Um, And then high school came around, or not high school, college came around. I continued writing music a little bit, but I got super busy with studying computer science and focusing on extracurriculars. And so I just, all of the music stuff fell by the wayside until my senior year when I discovered EDM. I don't know how I really missed it all my life because it was huge throughout, you know, all of my high school and college days, but I heard the song Faded by Alan Walker. I thought, oh my gosh, these sounds are so cool. I found out that these producers were like their own artists. Like they weren't in a band, they weren't playing instruments. They could make the music and be the artist. And I thought, that seems like the perfect thing for me. I'm not a great instrument player, but I can sit behind a computer for hours, figure this stuff out, and release it as an artist. So I started thinking more about that. And my senior year, I got really into reading Jordan Peterson books. Um, I loved his lectures. And he was talking about how you got to find the thing that you can do in life that makes all of the hardships and suffering worthwhile. I was like, shit, okay. Definitely have to do that. Um, but I had a, a good friend my senior year who was in my fraternity, and we had a football game coming up, and all of my fraternity and all my friends were getting ready for the football game, um, and we got a call, and we found out someone in the school had jumped from the fifth story of a parking garage and no one knew who it was everything was just rumors but the next day we found out that it was one of our members and my friend and it just kind of like shook me to the point where i was like okay if there's any point in time in my life that i need to make a change and pursue the thing that is actually meaningful for me so that i don't so that i don't find life not worthwhile because I, anyways, I decided at that moment that I needed to try doing something that made life worthwhile, and that thing was music. And so I basically skipped all my classes my second half senior year. Luckily, my GPA was good enough that it didn't matter that I missed all these classes. Spent all that time making music and learning how to produce, and after college, instead of going into computer science, took a job as a regional director for 
a nonprofit, traveled, lived out of my car, and after that, I just cut all the professional stuff loose and decided that I was going to figure out how to make a living with music, even if I had to live in my parents' uh, upstairs. That's how I got here. <laughs> Holy shit. I thought you had an interesting story, but that, like, completely blew me away. <laughs> I hope I didn't spit out too much at once. No, I mean a lot, but good, but good stuff, man. That's so incredible. Um, you know, it's it sounds like there's a very obviously meaningful point in your life that conjected with the introduction of you to this new form of music, and um, it, it kind of spurred up this emotion in you um, that made you want to completely change the tra- trajectory of your life. I mean. Is that fair to say? Yes, for sure. And it didn't just happen by happenstance. Like all these things happen in such a, such a way that, you know, you changed your life for a completely different, um, different, different manner. That's, that's so incredible. Um, was that something that you felt coming? Was that something that like that changed something that you think was like something that was anticipating or was that moment just like something that completely shook you? Um, and then made you reevaluate things? It was a mix of both. I didn't anticipate any of the changes, but when I decided to make the changes, looking back, it made a lot of sense. Mm. Um, it almost seemed like everything that I was studying in college, all my extracurriculars that were difficult, were all giving me the things that I needed to be able to pursue music. Like, Studying computer science, I mean, it's very, it's very technical, it's very logic-based. It is pretty creative, but it is also really great just for figuring out both technical details in music production itself, but also in the marketing space, too. It's like, okay, you have this huge chain of the things that you do in marketing. Is it working? If not, how do I find the point of logic in that whole line that I need to fix and then find it? isolate it, fix it, and then see if that works. And it, it's helped me to be very methodical about things. And it's also taught me that sometimes you have to spend weeks on a single tiny problem to move forward, and that's okay. And I don't think I'd be able to do things like that without computer science. And I was also, the fraternity I was in was SIGEP. I don't know if you had that at your school. Yeah. Okay. Um, but... And I don't know how it was at your campus. It's different at all campuses. But the national organization is trying to do things a lot different than they had been and yeah. that typical fraternities generally do them. And so the, challenge, the challenges that we face were things like we had, we had our house and we wanted to basically ban alcohol from being in the house because, uh, one, it tanks people's grades when it's in the house. It uh, destroys the property, all this stuff. And so trying to convince an entire fraternity of college guys that this was a good idea and that it was necessary to move forward was an incredibly difficult task. And it took a lot of really awful conversations and hard decisions. And that kind of thing helped prepare me for like all of the failure I face in music. I mean, it is so rare that something good happens or like you have a little win that it's you just you couldn't you can't do it unless you have some sort of practice failing all the time 
Um, and you also love the thing. So those things all, it made sense once I made the decision. Like, I think I have the skill sets to attempt this yeah. career path. I mean, talk about a hard sell trying to tell a bunch of fraternity brothers that they can't <laughs> have that. Yeah. You know? That's funny, too, because I think, because we, we both rushed, and I think around the time that I was rushing, when I visited SIGAP, that was, I think, around the same time period that they were maybe making those changes because they were talking about it. Um, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so interesting to talk about the you know the things that maybe not directly were done to pursue a career in music, but have you know really helped you out. You know, but speaking on the fact of like always, you know, needing repeated failure. That sounds a little bit. And sorry, I'm jumping back a little bit. You're talking about Jordan Peterson um, having that repeated failure or not being afraid to try things just because they're difficult. Um, well, you know, was there any hesitancy when you started getting into things like candle making and music that, um, you did have a little bit of background in, but to, to be fair, like not an extensive background in either, um, like what was that process? Like, did you have to repeatedly remind yourself of that or was it just kind of, um, easy sailing for you? I definitely did. I, when I went into it, I had my mindset going into it was it doesn't matter how long it takes i love making the music and if i love that process i know i can do it enough to where i actually become good at it Mm -hmm. um i was definitely delusional in some ways about how quick that process would be um so whenever i felt depressed from making slow progress that's when i needed to remind myself that this is like the progress is not the part that matters the most. The, the part that matters the most is I'm doing it and I am making progress. I need to stop setting these goalposts for myself that are unrealistic. Um, but when it come when it came to trying and failing at making the music, that part has come not easily, but it has been smoother sailing than say, I don't know, trying to market it. Marketing is a whole different story, but the actual making of the music has been pretty smooth. You released a lot of music in one year, too. I mean, it was like, what, more than 10 releases in one year? I think it's 12 now. Maybe. I have two more that are coming before the year. At least, no, three more that are coming before the year is over. So I wanted to be at like 14, 15, somewhere there. And with each release, you know, do you feel like you're coming into more of your own style as an artist? Has it been a journey of understanding yourself a journey of reaching closer to what you feel like you already are what's it been like for alex on that path it's definitely it's been it's weird because i have cycles that i go through when i'm making a song where i start it i usually struggle getting some idea that i like um but i come up with an idea i really like it usually a third of the big ideas that i start i end up finishing and so i have the idea i love it i work on it get nowhere make a big make some big progress in a couple of days then i get to the point where i'm starting to finish the song i do the final mix i think it sounds so good i'm like this is the best song i've ever released it is the most me style it is the most honest the best lyrics all this stuff and then i say it's finished i send it to go be released and i listen to it and i think oh god this is terrible this is not ready to be released i have to i have to take it down i have to finish it i hate it I always get to the point where I basically hate my songs by the time they come out. Um, and then three months later, after the release, 
I listened to it. I'm like, okay, wait, this is actually pretty good. This was a big step ahead from my last song. Um, but so it's usually three months after my most recent song is released. I think I look back on it and think this is definitely the most honest song and the best song that I could have released at this time. Mm. That's usually how it goes. That's a hard thing to designate too, though. I bet. I mean, it depends on your personality, but to say this is the best I can do right now for this project, that's got to be so difficult with something like music, especially if you have a computer science background too, because I feel like you kind of hit the algorithm and then it works. Or like you get everything yeah. and it clicks. But with what you're talking about, it's more just it's like this moving, shaping vibe. And you're just like, good enough. And then you like spank it and it goes off. Yeah. <laughs> Can you speak to that a little bit? I and mean, what that what that has been like for you, that transition, and then trying to get your computer science brain to be okay with like this is as good as it's gonna be, which is probably gotta be like infuriating if you're you know, on, I don't know your personality specifically, but I would assume it's probably a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so coming, I, I feel like overall computer science has helped me more than it's hurt me for sure. Um, but the idea of something working or not has definitely been a hindrance because when you're working on a song, it's like, yes, there are some technical things that are sort of like rules of thumb and things that you should follow. But in the end, any rule can be broken and that can be okay. And so figuring out which things I should break is really difficult because in computer science, you don't break anything. You, you make everything work. And so with this, it's almost like computer science, but also you get to decide to do things wrong. And sometimes doing those things wrong is the best way of doing it. And that's, that's tough. And I, I will often listen to my song and then listen to another song that isn't even exactly the same style and hear maybe like a louder kick drum in this other song and think, oh my gosh, this kick drum is so loud. Mine should be that loud. But then I have to remember, okay, in this style of song, it definitely should not be louder. But I'll go and I'll try to make, you know, whatever instrument it is that I heard in another song louder or more uh, thick or something. And then I'll listen to it later and think, God, why would I do that? It, does, it doesn't make sense in this context of this song. Um, and so like with code, you can compare your code to someone else's and then you can basically say, okay, this is a better way of doing it and just kind of copy paste it over. But with music, just because someone else does something a certain way doesn't mean it fits. And just because someone else gives you feedback that you should do something specific definitely does not mean you should do that thing because it's their taste and their taste, it, it, def, it does not matter in the end. Yeah. I don't know who, who the quote's from. I do this a lot, but I, I heard it somewhere that um, along the lines of um, with, within music, you have to learn the rules to, to break the rules. Um, no idea who said that, but I, I think that's really, really cool that you're saying like you have to, you have to, even if it fits somewhere else, doesn't mean it's going to fit in your style. You know, like you, you can know the rules. You can know that this is how this type of song is supposed to be, but you still got it. You still got to experiment and make it your own. Exactly. And that, that's kind of the sign that has made me feel like I've, I'm maturing in my own production and creativity because no longer, I'm no longer taking feedback from people in a sense that they are telling me, oh, something should be louder or something should be different. I think, okay, they, they are saying this thing about my song, but what is my song meant to do? Like, what is the key element? What is the purpose of it? I know enough about the technical details that I, I can disregard a lot of other people's opinions in certain ways because they don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And people that don't produce, they're not even going to notice these subtle differences between 
mixing styles and everything. And so it doesn't even matter to the typical listener. Um, but producers like to make everything their own. And so their feedback will be based on what they would do, which isn't necessarily good feedback. It's going to be difficult with something as intimate as music to yeah. creating this thing. And then you know, you have a vision of where it's supposed to go. And then you feel like the criticism sometimes disrupts the process of you making your own song at that point because people are just kind of giving their two cents, but you're like, well, it's still, it's still in development and you're judging it on the wrong category. So you got to kind of look for the right audience, I would guess. Yes, exactly. You. So who is that for you? Like, who, where do you get your peer review from if you do? I, it's pretty much just this one guy. Uh, I hire him on Fiverr. I pay him 10 bucks. He listens to my song. He gives me very detailed feedback. And he doesn't give me feedback based on anything creative. He's, I don't know how he does it so well, but he can... He basically disregards anything that might be his own opinion about the sound and just gives me very technical, like, your song is this style. This is the reference track you gave to me. If you want it to have as big of a punch as this song or if you want it to have as big of a, um, like, impact when the drop hits as this song, then you might want to consider this thing. And so it's very logical feedback and he's the only one and he and he's he's an audio engineer too so he can tell me things that i wouldn't even be able to hear because my speakers aren't good enough um and he gives me specific frequencies that might sound off and specific things that i can do to fix them and he's pretty much the only person that i'll i'll go to because every time i have tried to go give it to someone else to give me feedback it just like they give me the feedback and i just think no i i'm not going to like that's not good feedback that's what you would do in your style yeah so i only only go through this one guy and he's awesome i have probably over the course of this year paid him like 500 bucks for all of the times i've sent him in a song to listen to so interesting who is this mysterious fiber yeah. guy yeah. <laughs> i don't even i don't even know his name his i don't know how to pronounce it it's like Bezerate on fiverr <laughs> he's he's just awesome i actually also ordered like a, a one hour session with him on zoom and he went in and helped me with like very specific things too and i swear he saved some of my songs from being hilariously bad um <laughs> on big systems if i hadn't have sent something into him you gotta love the internet man to be able to find something is, did you, is that something I, I gotta know is that something you stumbled upon or is that like recommendation that you got from somebody else to find somebody like removed to do the or I got so lucky I just I found there were two people on Fiverr like the top two ones that came up when I searched uh, EDM mixing feedback and I sent it to both of them he gave me this huge wall, and at that time it was only $5 to order it, and he sent me this huge wall of text with all of the different things lined out, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know some of these concepts existed in audio engineering, and then the other guy sent over like, oh, that sounds pretty good, I mastered your track for free because I thought the mixing was perfect, don't change anything. I was like, oh wow, so we've got very different uh, qualities in um, delivery here. That's so interesting, that's, I think that's applicable in life, like yeah, who's, who's constructive criticism versus yeah. who's just like just throwing their flavor on there yeah and i think uh, that speaks to your character i feel like it'd be much easier to just be like oh this guy likes it you know it should be fine but instead you go towards a person that's giving you you know a laundry list of things that you know but i wonder that's just subtle you know it's like a 
precise because it's comforting to listen to the echo chamber that tells you you're good. Mm-hmm. And that's also seductive to go into the chamber put on your ideas, you know, feel good about yourself. Yeah. Like that fine line really where it's the constructive like building blocks yes. like step by step by step, regardless of what industry adds and hopefully that piggybacks into what you're about to dive into or finding yeah. that point, that frequency the point. Like constructive generative mm-hmm. realm. Getting rid of the ego but not being self uh deprecating. Mm-hmm. Which is like in itself the ego just kicking itself. Yeah. Right. Because it seems like you have a good, you get a good sense of that. Like I saw one of your posts the other day where you're like, "Look at how real, hilariously bad this demo was," and it was of your new, your new song by the sea. And like, of course, the first demo of any song is going to be bad, but you were able to laugh at it and put it out there. Like it was, it was cool. I don't know how I would have been so frozen if I had even had the thought of putting that out when I had done it. I, <laughs> I'm very. Glad that I could do that without feeling awful. <laughs> what's what's changed between now and then? Uh, I was a very, very, very unconfident person up throughout pretty much high school. Like, I'm a super big introvert. Always have been. I was very, very shy throughout high school. I had trouble talking to, like, women. I had trouble talking to parents. I even had social anxiety talking to my friend group because I didn't want to say something stupid and be made fun of. And it was, it was often dumb stuff, but it like at the time it felt huge. And I just wanted to get past all that. And I downloaded, what was it called? I downloaded an ebook online called how to always know what to say. And it was basically like my first entry into how do you make yourself a little bit better so that you don't, suck as bad world and I read the book and I practiced the things and like got a little bit better um, and then college came and I joined the fraternity and it was all about self-development and how do we um, recruit people to join this organization and that required me to go out and talk to people and have all of these uh, you know small talk conversations to build into more meaningful conversations and I just had so much practice with it that I got more confident in that skill and just as a person. Um, and so now it's like, I don't even recognize who I was in high school in terms of confidence or anything like that. Cause I just don't, I don't have a lot of the fears I did then. So I'm okay with showing people embarrassing stuff and stupid things that I've made. Even more impressive the way you explained. Even more interestingly too, you went on to create a whole community on Twitch and you know, on yeah, um, that A B fam. I mean, that's compared to where you were to where you are now. You, when did you start that, and how did you create that community? Where is it at now? And you kind of bring us into that world a bit. Yes, it that is. It was started with just my Discord server because I, like, I had I have an email list for my music stuff, and I have a Discord server, and basically the mailing list is for people who are like over fifteen or over 18, and then the, the Discord server is for all my fans who are younger than that. And so I had the Discord server, me and my music listeners would talk in that, and then we played a game of Among Us, and it was super fun, and so they were like, you should stream stuff on Twitch. And so then I bought a Minecraft realm and started streaming that on Twitch, and they would just play in the Minecraft realm with me. And uh, it was really just kind of... I just took the suggestions of the people that were already into my music and they basically built out the discord server. They taught me how to use Twitch and, uh, 
now I'm just kind of casually streaming weekly <laughs> with the people that like my music. Yeah. And Twitch is still weird for me. Like, it's weird to do it. It's like weird talking when no one else is like talking back and like trying to have a conversation with myself. It is, it does not come naturally whatsoever. Um, You're doing it though. But I'm trying to do it. Compared <laughs> <laughs> to six, seven years ago, I think that's something that's important. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. When you compare it to that, for sure. For like progression over time. You were bringing up Jordan Peterson earlier, but that's one of his key points. Like incremental progress over time makes big impacts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, kind of like what you were talking about before the podcast started with the, like, when you're looking at a problem, think to yourself, okay. I'll give myself 10 years for this. It takes that kind of time to make what in the end will be a huge change. Yeah. It's like postponing the instant gratification. And then, you know, in your case of your story, taking the discomfort that probably came initially with doing all these new things that you weren't comfortable with and something as uncomfortable as taking the jump like you did to get into the music industry after leaving computer science, which is a pretty, that's pretty good job security in that field. Like, I'm talking a bit outside my circle of confidence, a little ignorantly, right? No, you're good so far. Yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's a big, there's some, some job security in that, and then you jumped off to do something that's high risk and entrepreneurial and, you know, all those things while starting all these creative ventures that are high risk in nature and then have a reward. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was there's definitely a lot of job security in computer science. I just I just would not be nearly as fun. Definitely. I think the whole concept of ten years is so important for people to think of too, but I think it goes and I wonder if you agree with this concept too. I think it goes beyond just like knowing that you have to dedicate ten years. Like the incremental change, it's like one thing to know that, but I think also it's important to recognize that some of these skills, I I would probably argue a lot of these skills aren't like linear progression either it's not going to be like you're think like every single day you can get this much amount better this much amount better i think it's more of like a very strong like exponential curve like you're just making a little bit of progress here and there and then once you get to a certain point you kind of hit a pocket and it, and it starts getting easier would you agree with that yes i i had a, on the long-term basis for sure yeah and then to add on to that even more like if you zoom into it it's like you have a lot of just no progress whatsoever and then a big jump and then it could fall a little bit and then no progress and big jump and like maybe maybe once a week I'll be working on music and I will make something that I think is cool or like a good change or make progress in the song every single other day is just playing with things and nothing happening and feeling like an absolute failure every single time um, but over time the big jumps you make on a weekly basis start becoming like the exponential curve Interesting. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool. How do you get past the, the, the times when you feel like you're not making exponential changes? Is it just like, oh, it's one of those days? Or do you remind yourself of something? Or is it still difficult for you? Uh, it is definitely, it, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like how I said with, um, I have a, like a cyclical nature with each song where, I have nothing. I love it. I'm not making any progress, so I'm like, eh. Then I love it again, and then I hate it. It's like I... Some days I can shrug it off and just, like, move on to the next thing. No problem. 
But then other days, I'll just like obsess over it and dig into it. And then I'll start like Google searching, like, why are musicians depressed? Or like, how to get over depression for musicians? Like, how to not put so much pressure, like, just like diving into it and like trying to figure out why it's such a difficult thing to wrap my head around when it's just like, it's just music or it's just music. So why is it so difficult? Um, so I have not figured out a good way of getting past it. I think for the rest of my life, it'll just be like some days it really sucks. And it, it's like, I just have to keep on living until the next day when it's uh, not so bad again. Um, if that's the case, then I can live with that. Yeah. Would you say, is it fair to say that the days that you are inspired and the days that you are feeling great about music outweighs the days that it's, it's, it's difficult? It is like, there is no better feeling that I've ever experienced than putting something into my computer, having it sound amazing, and just dancing around my room to a song that I just made and thinking like this, this is it. Like I have, like this is my soul. I have put it in the computer and I love it. Um, it is an incredible uh, rush. That's a really interesting phrase you just said there. You said, put my soul into a computer and this is the results of it, essentially. I think that's such a interesting thing. I mean, I guess a lot of music now is at least recorded digitally, but EDM specifically is almost entirely electronic, but you're still trying to get your heart and soul into something and convey an emotion through something so digital. I think that concept's just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because it's a lot of EDM isn't super emotional. Um, but even even for the songs that aren't super emotional, like the work it takes to get it finished and the the process of creating the song, it makes every single song like a piece of your soul and like just very delicate and um, like fragile. Same thing as delicate. Don't know why I had to use two words there. Synonyms, baby. Yeah, more synonyms, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we fall into we fall into the same. Well, I can speak for myself, but no, yeah, <laughs> we're writing things up. We're like. Amazingly awesome. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> fluffy, floating, fluffing clouds. Yeah. And I think, Alex, your, your style specifically, too, and I think it's so interesting that you say you have a computer science background. Like, if I were to think of a computer science background person that got an EDM, it wouldn't be the style that you put out. It's so yeah, flowy and fluent. Like, if I think of a computer sound, like, I'm thinking, like, like G. Jones bass. or, like, a drum and bass person yeah. or something, like, very, like, methodical. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you, at, at one point, did you ever have music? Were you putting out music that was more like that? Or have you always been? Okay. It's always been very melodic. Everything, like, the most important thing to me in music is the melody and so some people love the groove some people love the bass line there's a lot of pop popular music now that doesn't really have a melody at all at all and people really like that but for me it's like could it be played on a piano and would that emotionally move me and so that's kind of how i want it to be i want each song to be able to translate to any instrument to any voice and have it be an emotional piece um and i don't know i don't know why the computer science thing was there i i i do like logical things and very straightforward things and um it just coexists with the creative side as well and even when i was in computer science like i would do some dumb things because i would try to be really creative with the code 
and a lot of times you don't have to do that. And like I would I would come up with these extravagant solutions that just usually didn't work, but were just so incredibly unnecessary. And it's like when I think I can't remember if we were talking about this on the podcast or before, but you mentioned like sometimes like the the good business idea is like pretty simple and straightforward and it's not this huge extravagant thing uh in computer science a lot of times it's like that too it's like there's you can do it more simply and it can be a good solution it doesn't have to be this huge uh, jumbled mess but the creative side of me was creating this huge jumbled mess so yeah it's not so much that computer science bled into my music it's more like my music kind of was bleeding into computer science. <laughs> yeah, that's such a powerful mental exercise, though, the one you were talking about, taking something really complicated just looking for the simplest solution. But it's very interesting, the insight that the creative people make, that make it so convoluted with the ideas, that it creates really intricate, complex, beautiful thing that feels like sometimes the cup's just a cup. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking at it and you're like, it's not just a cup. It's like the other things. I'm like, yep. hey, but does it help you at that moment? Exactly. Like in this context, is this is it okay to look at it that way? Yeah. yeah. A lot of times it's not, and that's okay. It's like creative solutions okay. are oftentimes wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it is helpful though to create like a melody like you're talking about that mm-hmm. transcends between different platforms. Yes. Trying to do it. Where it's like yeah. you play it on guitar and it gives an experience and it's also used in the world. And it also does this and this. It's a little high of awesome vibes that just propagates out in like 30 different directions. Just fucking amazing. And I'm getting so excited. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel that. <laughs> I think it's like, I'm glad we're having this conversation for a lot of reasons, Alex, but I've heard people like in computer science before, one of our old roommates, Rikyo, before say that. Um, shout out Rikyo. Shout out Rikyo. It's <laughs> off chance you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, that coding and computer science, there is a creative aspect to it. And I always brush them off thinking they're kind of crazy. But I mean, when you put it the way you have, I, 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 it makes sense to me. Yeah, there are definitely times when it's needed. Like, more often than not, there's a problem in computer science. It can be solved with a straightforward solution. It doesn't have to be creative. But there are definitely times when there's a problem that you wouldn't expect and there has to be something creative to be done about it um and everything that you can do you can you can do in like unlimited ways and so it's like how do you want to make the solution for this um so there's definitely a creative side depending on the field too i mean if you're in like game development which i developed a game when i was in college just for fun like that was incredibly creative and it was so fulfilling to do and like i miss that i want to i want to code a game that sounds like so much fun even now what was Um, your game what did you what did you code it's called save the pigs it's not on the app store right now because it cost me like 100 bucks a year to put it up and not enough people downloaded it obviously to (laughs) cover that but it was basically just like a side-scrolling jumping game except instead of one one character jumping you had two characters jumping each one could only land on their respective color like moving platforms and you controlled each one with a different side of the screen so it was really really difficult but i thought it was pretty fun uh i wish it was still in the app store so you could try it out <laughs> it's like it's a lot of revol- i don't know i don't know yeah. if i can do that i might go cross-eyed doing that alex yeah it takes a lot of uh 
I only got good at it because if I didn't get good at it, I wouldn't be able to finish developing it because I needed to test it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like far enough into the level where I could see like, is the harder part actually working? So it sounds yeah. like one of those impossible games like Shiba yeah. um, Hut. I don't know if you're familiar. I don't know if it's on the East Coast, but it's just like this stoner sandwich shop. They made a, a game that's kind of similar, but it, I... I'm guessing that it's supposed to be unbeatable because they said it always quits out when you get right to the high score. Really right to the stuff. Yep. Yeah. So the, the, if they're like, if it's if you get past like X mark, you get free sandwiches for the rest of your life. And we have a friend that really enjoys food, so he was like dead set on beating that X score. And every time you get like 20 points away, and he's and for so some reason, he's extremely competitive. And like <laughs> super, just gets blocked and stuff like that. Oh, that would piss me off so much. <laughs> yeah, I think he played for like probably a couple hours straight. Like every day, every day for like a week or two. <laughs> wow, he deserved it. That's a shame oh, he didn't yeah. get it. He told us that numerous times as he was doing it. Believe us. <laughs> he's like, I'm getting these free sandwiches. Like, if anyone like, deserves it, it's me. And he's like, such a character, man. That's cool. That you. Well, I guess if it's not on the app store, you can't have access to it. But that that'd be something fun in the future if you could ever like get it back up and running. That is the plan. Oh, cool. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking that there's no way I could. That's like that's what's the pat in your head. I actually can do that now. Why was that harder as a kid? I could, dude. I remember that being impossible, yeah, but I feel like I could do it like pretty well now. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, left side's a little weird. Oh god. Oh, I got it. Yeah, dude, that was impossible as a kid. It was. And I remember our parents like think thought it was hard too. Or were they just fucking with us? They might just been messing with us. Huh. Oh, yeah, well, I never thought about it like that. Maybe they were. <laughs> no, no. Or maybe they're, my parents just happen to be very uncoordinated. <laughs> very possible. <laughs> okay, Alex, left turn. I've, I had this question pop up, but it uh, didn't seem to uh, present itself in a good um, place, so I want to bring it back up. You mentioned that the guy on Fiverr would give you like feedback on what like genre or whatever your music would fit into. Kind of curious, what type of genres do you perceive your music fitting into, and what did that Fiverr guy like consider it? Uh, it's I always have trouble categorizing it deeper than EDM, which is ridiculous because there's so many subgenres that you kind of have to know what subgenre it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a lot of people will say progressive house or electro house um, or even electro pop but it's not it's not really house music I mean it has a four a lot of the songs have a four on the four beat and that's a pretty house thing but mm. it's more along the lines of pop like a pop EDM mix than it is any sort of house music um, but when people ask I generally just say it's like pop EDM yeah. that's uh, that's about as deep as I go because I can't or for some of the songs like a folk EDM thing um, but the all of the house genres doesn't don't seem to fit because like you house music is very consistent and there's there's like a it's it's usually longer and there's not like a main hook and like verse chorus verse chorus that's generally a little more um a little more consistent but I I just stick with EDM and pop. That's fair. That's fair. Some of those subgenres get a little shaky anyways. So yeah. So funny too, because I feel like we've had two school of artists 
one they're like ah, genres aren't really important but we've also had a couple artists who are like Very this specific. song was like this 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 subgenre and this is why and it's like oh shit okay yeah dude i have no idea like this i don't know how to categorize subgenres at the beginning i had some ridiculous ideas of what my music was and i would be submitting it to these playlisters and they're like, why would you send this to me? This sounds absolutely nothing like any of the tracks in this playlist. I was like, really? But your playlist is Progressive House. And that's what people said the song is. And then I listened to their playlist and it's like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, my song is nothing like any of these songs whatsoever. But yeah, so you go to another Progressive House playlist and it's a bunch of songs that sound like mine. So genres aren't real. <laughs> that's, that's my take. <laughs> people put their perception on genres. But I saw that... Um, by the Sea got added to a was it an indie playlist or was it By the Sea? Yeah, it was just it was like an indie folk playlist, yeah. um, which is a first for any of my songs for sure. It makes sense; it's the most indie sounding of any of the songs I produced. But uh, yeah. it was kind of cool. It was like I I always loved folk and indie music, so it's cool that I was considered uh, good enough to be in whatever that playlist was. That's so cool. What's the process? Do you reach out to people and ask, like, hey, can I be on this playlist? Or A little bit. Sometimes I do. I used to do that a lot in the beginning, but it is not as good of a strategy as I originally had thought it was. Um, but I am, like, I myself curate playlists, and I get paid to review people's music for potentially putting it on there. And so I use those same platforms that I use to curate the playlists to send my music out to um, other playlisters. Interesting. And when you said it wasn't a good strategy, just not very effective, didn't have like really good returns when you were when you were outreaching. Um, yeah. So there's the problem of like maybe one in one hundred playlisters will like your song and want to add it because it's like people's taste varies so much. And even if a hundred people out of like two hundred would like your song, there's a really good chance that the playlister is one of the hundred people that aren't going to like the song. So it's time intensive. A lot of people say no. Even when people do say yes, a lot of times there's bots going on in the playlists. Like if people ask you to pay them to be in the playlist, that's a bunch of bots. Um, and a lot of times, just because your song is in the playlist doesn't mean anyone's actually listening to it uh, actively. Because people put on a playlist, a lot of times they forget about what they're listening to. Um, only specific people will go into a playlist to actively find new music and so people don't really discover you in playlists and you can get a thousand streams a day because you're in a giant playlist but the second your song is removed it's cut down to basically nothing you're back down to the baseline um so i don't like it as a overall strategy of getting music heard that's better better places to put your resources than sending out a bunch of different requests yes and it has its time and place and i still do it just not that's not the main thing i do it's just kind of like a supplemental strategy that makes sense yeah well i would think too just having your community and then growing your community would probably feed and advertise your music in itself right so you wouldn't even people would just start listening to your music because they have a relationship with you and you kind of go from there and that saves a lot of effort on your time while allowing you just to be more genuine and do what you enjoy doing have you had that experience yes. with your your community on discord where they they follow you and you generate a relationship and you don't have to worry as much about marketing. Yes. They, the community on discord, it's like, I think 104 people. So it's not huge, but I mean, that's like the 
104 of my biggest supporters. And so that, I mean, that's like the most important thing, like you were saying, is cultivating that community and those relationships there. That does a lot of the marketing. Um, doing that is a thousand times better than reaching out to a bunch of playlisters. Yeah. Are they the ones buying you coffee? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That, like, none of the people, no one would hear me on a playlist and then decide, I'm going to buy this guy some coffee. It is, uh, it is the people in Discord or on the email list that do that. That's such a cool concept. It is a cool concept. Is <laughs> that 100% always go towards coffee, or is that just a cute way of saying, like, help support me? It's just a cute way of saying it. I mean, honestly, I, in some roundabout way, that money does go to bet, go to getting coffee, because <laughs> I do get coffee, so that money is coming from somewhere. Um, but... I just liked it better than Patreon because I thought it sounded more inviting <laughs> to ask someone to buy you a coffee than to like join your Patreon. Yeah. It's so, I feel like it's so cool. I mean, <clears throat> sorry, this is going to be a broad thing. I'm going to focus it back in. None of those questions here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like there's a lot of um, problems that come along with the, the modern age, but there's a lot of really cool, exciting things too, but it's so dope that people can find very particular things like making candles or making a very specific type of music that's cool to them and then create a community around that. I think it just is a a testament to the possibilities of like modern era, era, you know, and um, how, what would you say to somebody who like may have always wanted to pick up something very niche or follow their dreams of doing X, but the rest of their life, life path is bringing them why like i mean obviously you're living proof that it's possible but what would you say to that person that's like i don't know is it really is it really possible <laughs> i would pro i the longer i do this the more uh not pessimistic i become about it but the more pessimistic i become about other people doing it because i see like okay if if i were to tell or give any sort of like say anything to someone who wanted to pursue some other path it'd be would you pursue this even if you never got anywhere professionally whatsoever for the rest of your life would you still do it because you like to do it if the answer is yes then go for it you can definitely do it it's okay if it takes 50 years because when you're 70 years old you'll have made it and it wouldn't matter how long it took because you like doing it um but a lot of times it's almost as if we like the idea of the thing and so we want to do it but the reason we don't end up succeeding is because we don't do it long enough to succeed and the only way to do it long enough to succeed is by loving it enough to get past the intense failure that happens throughout the process yeah how would you recommend to a young artist or someone who's interested in music them determining if they want to enter for the right reasons or not because sometimes people will enter for what people could call the wrong reasons. Right. Aren't sustainable. It's tough. It's tough to have any sort of blanket statement for that. But the most important thing is just make music every single day. If you can do that, if you can do that for a long time, you'll probably find your way into the industry. And people don't have to do what I did and just decide like I, on this day, am now switching paths in my career. That's just, I'm an extreme 
person that like to make very extreme decisions that people would assume are rash and sometimes they are for sure um but it's totally fine to just like make the music every single day like go home from school or in the morning make some make some music and then let it just kind of happen because a lot of these producers that are doing really well um people that i like aspire to be none of them made the decision to like i am now going to be a producer they just love doing it and they just did it every day and eventually you know the right label found their music or they sent it into the right person and it started to grow so just do it just do the thing don't worry about marketing don't worry about all this other stuff just make the craft that's what the most important thing is what you tapped out it sounds like you become the person that's kind of what it ends up being yeah yeah Jason, really anything you just become what you feel like you should be doing or what you are. Yeah, exactly. And it, you don't really worry about the other stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean, good marketing always will have its place and artists that are both really talented and great marketers are going to succeed in amazing ways, but you don't have to necessarily have that yeah. in order to enjoy the thing that you're doing. I think it was George Orwell, why not Ben Hampton said, I wish more people wrote bad poetry so that way they could just enjoy the process of making poetry. I totally yeah. that quote. Great quote, though. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's just like, I wish more people just made bad poetry. Because if you realize, same thing with singing or anything, you just get so much benefit from it. Even if you're not good at it, it just makes you feel alive. Yeah. Like, yeah. And in your room, because you made something, like you have, you know? Yep. And I get people in my Discord all the time. We have a, a a feedback channel, and some people will send in just like crappy tracks all the time, but they're enjoying doing it. And with each one, they get a little bit better. And you listen to something someone sends now as opposed to a year ago, and it sounds worlds better. And it's like that person is probably in it for the right reasons because they're just they're making stuff. They're sending it to this community. They're improving. But they're not. Their goal isn't to just like be a superstar. Yeah. Um, like then there's also people. No, yeah, go that ahead. It's people's goal to make it into a dark EJ. We've had the privilege of talking to a lot of different artists, but that's a trend that comes up sometimes. Would you agree? Yeah. That sometimes people are going in because they like the clout, the power from it, the, you know, being the guy or the gal on stage. Yeah. I think to talk to other artists, though, and you love the process, you love the intimate relationship with the music. It's cool seeing that contrast. Yeah. And it's not, uh, you know, it can be, I have, I, I would like to be able to be on a big stage and be a superstar DJ. Like, I will not deny that for sure. Um, but the process definitely weeds out the people who are in it for that reason. Um, sometimes it doesn't, people can get lucky for sure, but it, uh, it does weed out a lot of that. Yeah. You hinted at it earlier, but I've been curious kind of what, some of your inspirations have been generally musically, but also um, like melodically, because I do really think you have great melodies in the music, but you got to pull from somewhere. What are, <laughs> what are some of your inspirations? There's three main ones, uh, all different genres, but all very Beautiful melody, melody based. Um, the first one was Sum 41. They just, their guitar riffs were so cool. Uh, they weren't just doing the same thing that all the other punk rock bands were doing, playing their guitar the exact same way. They had unique 
uh, melodies in the riffs, and I just fell in love with that. I mean, that was all stuff that I loved to play on the piano. And then folk music. The, the artist that sang on By the Sea is my personal favorite folk artist. And so she had been an inspiration the past two years. Um, her melodies and her lyrics, just absolutely beautiful. Uh, also, my wife's favorite folk artist is that same person. And we've seen her play multiple shows. I proposed to my wife when one of her songs was playing, like all this crazy stuff. Like, so like wow. her, she's been a huge inspiration. Um, such incredible lyrics, amazing melodies. And then I listened to a ton of uh, just solo piano music. Nice. Like hours of piano music, and I just get into some of those melodies so hard. Like I can, I can rock out to some solo piano music because the melodies just hit so hard. <laughs> I love that. Well, I had no idea about the the depth of um, by the sea. Like I didn't know that 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 artist was one of your favorites. That's so cool. Yeah, that that was like hey. one of yeah. I got my my pal yeah. here. What's up, girl? <laughs> Um, that was one of those oh. rare wins that happens that makes everything just very worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so cute, man. Yeah, she's, a, she's the best. <laughs> I must have been pretty, I mean, not full circle for you, but at least a, a mini circle for you. Um, having the ability to work with that artist and how you know important that was in you guys' relationship. Like, was, that's got to be such a cool feeling to you're working with that artist it was i i will not no not lie to you i cried when i heard her vocals when she sent them back to me i was like oh this is too much man and i just sat there at my computer listened to it with my headphones on and just let it out oh my god that's incredible did that come about naturally did you re- just reach out to her and was like yeah why not yeah i was like screw it i'm gonna email her manager and just see if she likes the song enough to do it and i emailed the manager they said sure like i'll send it over to her then two weeks go by i send another follow-up email then no response and i send another one i'm like "Ah, shoot they she didn't like it and they're just ignoring me now like everyone else does in music there's just it's just ignoring there's no replies it's just ignoring that's fine you know people are busy uh but then I emailed like a fourth time. So I was like, I, I will just email until they email back. I have no shame. Uh, and they were like, oh, hey, sorry. Uh, she actually switched managers, so I'm not her manager anymore. It's so-and-so. I'll send them the info. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank you. I emailed the new manager. She responded within like a day. She was like, yep, I'll send it over to her. And then a few days later, she replied back like, Heather's interested. Um, let me know your number. I'll send it to her and set up a time for you guys to have a phone call. I was like... No way. <laughs> but I wouldn't let myself get excited until after the vocals were sent to me. Because I was like, there's no way this is true. Like, something is going to go wrong. She's going to pull out of this. It's not going to work out. I'm going to be so disappointed because I was so close to just, like, a life bucket list item. Um, but it, it didn't fall apart. It all went smoothly. <laughs> wow. That's so heavy, man. I wonder how much in life we kind of... And not, not in a regret, regretful way, but how many opportunities we just don't open that door because we're like, oh, that's not possible. You know, that couldn't happen. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I have a bunch of failures doing things that I thought were feasible. And so if I had let that affect me and not try something that I thought was absolutely impossible, then like, who knows? Sometimes you'd have these small failures for things that like, in the end, don't matter that much, but uh and aren't even that 
important, but the really big ones that you thought were way out there sometimes work out, and that's a cool thing. Very cool. So why not just shoot the shot and see what happens? Might as well. At that point, I was used to rejection, man, <laughs> for sure. So I might as well. There's a quote from Russ, who's on the talk show, who said his favorite line or the most useful quote he ever got was, what if it turns out better than you ever imagined? go into a situation like that you just say that to yourself oh boy might not work but what if it turns out really good and then that mm-hmm. maybe turns out like what happened with you you get yeah some artists you admire respect love and she ends up being your, your song and that like that's enough for any other time in the future when I think to myself uh probably shouldn't shoot this shot it's out of my out of my league I'm like no it's not <laughs> remember that time that you got your favorite singer to be on your song like yeah. that's possible changes your perception of everything for sure that's really interesting it's cool to see that that example too it's very you know in your life it's awesome so uh, if you're open to talking about it i think it's really interesting the moment in time where you essentially packed up and decided to change your life course i know we've touched on this and uh, if you don't want to talk about it, I totally understand. Um, and you, you talked about some of the, the overlying motives, but what were, what were some of the deeper thoughts that were going on? Because it seems like such a powerful part of your story. Um, like what, what was your, your thought process during that time period? Because you seem to have gone through a complete um, transformation. It's weird because there was so little thought process that happened. It was almost like acting on instinct. Okay. Like these events happened, I snapped into gear and made these decisions, not necessarily, like, without really thinking them all the way through. And I didn't have this, like, existential crisis in my mind. It's just the things were happening, and I just shifted gears. Like, I, it just, I just did it. I did not think about it much at all, which is probably why I was able to do it. I'm sure if I thought about it, I would have convinced myself that it was a bad idea. But to be completely honest, there was not... I wasn't really able to think that much. I didn't want to think that much. I just, I had to do something and that's what I chose to do. Um, what was that time period like for you, like day to day when you were living in your car and you just made a huge change and you're like, I'm not sure what the future holds for, for me. That was, it was weird. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, so during that time I was working for a nonprofit uh, the reason I was living out of my car is because it would make zero sense for me to have like a home or an apartment. It was I would I wasn't making enough to afford rent somewhere. I wouldn't even be at that place for you know more than a couple of days out of the month or anything like that. And it was strange. I was just I was driving all over the Northeast United States. I would be in a car driving like 14 hours only to get to the place I was staying have it be in the basement of some dude's house, trash all over the place. Um, there were just weird things would happen in the places I was staying. Like uh, one guy I stayed with, his girlfriend and him got into a fight. He called the cops. They came over and arrested her. And I was just kind of like peering out my window, watching this whole thing. Um, I would wake up every morning, make music, then do my job, then make some music, then go to bed. And I'd find myself like in the middle of Vermont in a blizzard, uh, like in my car freezing my ass off and thinking like why am I doing this this makes absolutely no sense what sane person would ever want to do something like this but then there would be moments 
where like in the fall I was in Maine in some of the most beautiful national parks I'd ever seen watching the sunrise. It's like, Oh man, this is pretty cool. Like this is, this is a good life. Um, it was a lot of highs and lows. Like it was almost like manic depressive states, like just questioning to the core why I was doing what I was doing and having moments where I, it all made sense. And it was very clear. Um, really weird time. What, uh, what nonprofit what were you doing? If you don't mind me asking. It was the, uh, nonprofit that runs my college fraternity. Okay. And so we were basically, basically going around to every single, uh, campus and we were the ambassadors for the organization at the campus. So, uh, we were training people to recruit, uh, member development, handling crisis situations, and then relations between the school and the national organization and the organization on the college campus. Wow. So you're just roughing it. There was uh, 14 of us. 14? Yep. Stayed in some weird places. Um, most of it was on a couch. Uh, had all of my stuff in my car <laughs> at all times. Um, it was wild. Like it's, <laughs> it was really weird, but yeah, there was like four, there was 14 of us. We all had different parts of the country and we were all doing the same thing. Yeah. I think it's interesting you describe it as, as, as manic depressive, just kind of like the ups and downs of the experience. But I wonder how much of that is just naturally how life can be, but we get so used to comfortability and not sub- subjecting ourselves to some of the, the harshities of life. You know, but if you step into that from the comfortability of, of normal, you know, status quo of day-to-day life, it can probably feel a lot like ups and downs of mania. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I mean, I remember when I finished all of that and I got running water again. Like, oh. this, this is amazing. This is what I needed. Like, oh, my gosh. And being able to, I, I had a Planet Fitness black membership because I just showered in the different gyms in each city um and so i was able to go to the planet fitnesses to take my showers and stuff and but having my own sink and being able to you know not have my shampoo freeze in my car overnight because i was in the northern part of new york and everything in my car would freeze overnight um those little things became so uh appreciated once i was finished with it and having that situation like you said like stepping into that discomfort it it made life very worthwhile and it, then it made everything that came after it very meaningful and not taken for granted mm. i feel like that's something we could all use a part of in our life at some points in some degrees like you said you seem like a, a fairly brash person at times but you know, just just subjecting ourselves to some level of, of newness of uncomfortability you know it's a hell of a time it was the best year of my life. Like the best, I would never. Uh, I, I would always. I would always go back and make the exact same decision I did to do it. It was. It was amazing. As awful as it was, really amazing. I feel like that discomfort led you to better understand who you are. For sure, it it helped me figure out my limits. It helped me figure out. Um, that I could be comfortable in what I thought were very uncomfortable situations. Um, like trying to convince a room of 200 football playing 
frat guys to accept that we needed to have a dry house. <laughs> that is that is not a fun place to be. You you are the enemy <laughs> in a room of two hundred football players. That that was very uncomfortable. But like you just. I don't know, it makes everything after that seem a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, you kind of feel like it was um, a rite of passage almost in your life, you know, that you created for yourself to transform into the next chapter of, of who you were meant to be. It's kind of a rewording of the question that just asked you, but... Yeah, well, yeah, no, actually, I never really thought about it that way, but when you now that you bring it up, it's like, it was the rite of passage from a very normal type of life to something that like the the rite of passage itself made going into music seem not that crazy because (laughs) what i was doing before music was arguably crazier um but it definitely was a a rite of passage into shifting into this other unknown realm for me I think that's something that's lacking in our culture too we have a segment now it's it's called talking about shit we're not qualified to talk about (laughs) I remember the segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I tend to go into it. But what I'm about to say is, I think that's something that's lacking in our culture, though, is that rite of passage. And I, just, and I guess you could say it exists in different forms. You know, you can find it through somehow, I guess, like sports teams, or going through school or tournaments or what have you. But there's not that big moment when you find out really who you are, just what you were kind of tapping after you sleep in, you're covering shampoos, freezing. Yeah, like I, I hate this, but I love this. It's like, fuck, this is so. It's just weird. Yeah. I to do stuff I'm uncomfortable with, and I'm alone. My parents aren't supporting me. Like a lot of times, not everybody, but some segments of our country lived in this coddled, privileged society. That's a hot word to use. Hopefully, it doesn't get us on Twitter too much. Hey, Amen. Any publicity is good publicity, am I right? But <laughs> there's this privilege, though, and then people will, we never really find out who we are and you know, what our purpose is and go through the right passage. We change into an actual functioning member of society as opposed to a cog. And that last part was inserting a personal bias. But main point, I think it's interesting to have that right of passage, though, and it's very interesting to run through it. And it's interesting to see the benefit you got from it. And correct me yes. if I'm wrong on any of, any of that, and, um, any of the statements I've made, but it's interesting to see the benefit you got from that. And you even saying, once you went into music, it seemed like you were was a lot more manageable than where you were two years before that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, no correction needed. <laughs> I wonder, we had a, a previous guest, um, Spoops. Yep. Ezra, who talked to us about um, kind of a, a similar moment in his life where he made the decision to pursue music. And he said, looking backwards, he had felt um, some anxiety, um, but really he attributed, once he, once he had made the decision to pursue something different, he felt the anxiety was just like, a, I forgot how he worded it. It was really cool, but he, he says the anxiety was just because he wasn't going the path that he was meant to go down. Yeah. Did you, like in retrospect, did you feel any sort of that did you have any general anxiety before you went into music, like the middle of life type of feelings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. In music, too. In, like, I mean, oftentimes I'll think, like, hmm, what would be happening right now if I was just doing programming? It's like, I'd probably be taking vacations. I'd probably have enough money to go out with my friends every weekend. Uh, all this other stuff that sounds, like, pretty nice. Um, 
and so that comes up a lot. I have to think to myself, okay, would it be worth it for me to spend the next 15 years of my life building a career in something like programming? And the answer is hell no. Would it be worth it to be building something in music like I am right now for the next 15 years? Absolutely. Like I can dedicate my life to it and at the end look back on it and say like, yes, this was not just like work for the sake of work. This was work for the sake of like, meaning and purpose, but also difficulty and all the other stuff that comes with it. Um, and I couldn't do that with computer science. And for me, for me, work has like the work I, have, I do has to be part of like the big picture for me. And for a lot of people, it's like you work so that you can do other things. And that's totally fine. For me, I'm more of a workaholic, I guess, and so I'm going to work a lot. And so it has to be something like music where I can be okay looking back and spending all that time on it and feel like it's worth it. Um, whereas if it was for programming, I'd feel like I was wasting my life. Even though I like programming. Um, but I just wouldn't want to spend every waking hour doing that. Yeah, I think it's so funny that, you know, some people hold the perception, I definitely don't feel this way, but some people might hold the perception that being an artist is like, free and fun and do whatever and like really when it comes down to it like it's it seems like a very high level of discipline that you have to hold yourself to in order to to keep yourself within that that realm so you know it's it's incredible to see you continue with that discipline and uh, the cliche being you know discipline is like the highest form of self-love but you really need to have a high level of dedication and discipline to to continue to be an artist it seems like I haven't heard of that wording before. Discipline's the highest version of self-love. Yeah, I picked it up somewhere. I like, I like that. That's cool. It is cool, isn't it? <laughs> picked it up somewhere. I do this thing where I rip shit off of people and I forget where it came from. So. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Seuss, I think Dr. Seuss wrote that one. <laughs> quite a deep fellow, actually. <laughs> That's good. Can I follow a scroll here about Dr. Seuss, though? Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Supposedly, Dr. Seuss was like this um, reclusive, depressive type. Really? Yeah. People think of him as like, well, obviously, through his work, you think he's like this cheery, like friendly, kid-loving person. Not the case. He's like suicidal. It's so curious. Up and just wrote these really happy kid stories. I guess they're not all happy. Like, they're, they're, they're genuine stories, but like the some of the artistry. The universe he goes with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very different. Okay. And, and a lot of happy endings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what he wanted to, though. Yeah. It's like this space where you can create that perfect world, or that world where you can convey his message to the next generation of people that would actually make the differences that you yeah. want to see in the world. Yeah. Making bad assumptions. But <laughs> do, you, do you ever think of that with, with your work when you put something out into the universe? Like, what's the chance that this has an impact on somebody? tomorrow a couple weeks from now a couple of years from now like generation from now especially with the digital age like once you put something out there it's it's going to be there for i mean i don't know how uh human society is going to evolve but you know, it'll be there for a while i always think about that yeah and i try not to because i <laughs> for a couple of reasons i try not to uh one is because most of the time someone is moved by a certain piece of art or music, whatever it is, the person moved by it generally won't ever go and tell the person that made it, like, you changed my life. Yeah. Like, this song, like, got me through this time. Um, and just have faith that if it was emotional 
emotional for me and if it helped me through something that it has the potential to help other people and I try to rely on just that thought alone of course I'm human and I I crave the validation from my listeners that you know any musician would um, and so I like it when people tell me and I when people do tell me it's like oh my gosh like it is real people are affected by it um, but yeah I think about it a lot It's an interesting time to be an artist. All your artwork is it's archived online. We'll see your progression. It's really interesting that you can watch how you change over time. Also, as you said, something thinks about every day because it's a little scary because you can see stuff you said five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, and like all of the statistics are everywhere. Like you can see how many people listen to me every month on Spotify. You can see how many people are subscribed on YouTube, like how many views things have, how many likes things have. All that is just, it is an unnecessary noise. Um, it's interesting. It's a good perspective, unnecessary noise. Yeah, as a, most creative people almost need those things to connect with their listeners because yeah. how else are you going to monetize it? Like you need to have fans that want to support you. And how do you connect with them if you are, if none of your stuff is like, if you're not findable online? Um, but at the same time, all of that stuff like hurts a lot and causes depression for a lot of creatives and all that. Like, if you put out something that means a lot on an Instagram post and you're like spilling your heart out, yeah. and no one sees it, no one comments on it, it's like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> did, should I be talking about this stuff? Does anyone care? Should I care if anyone cares? And then you post a picture like, of yourself just sitting on the side of a road and put nothing in the caption and it gets like 300 likes you're like what the hell yeah yeah it's crazy okay it's a really interesting point i think you tapped at a really interesting problem and when you identified it was really also interesting more than i um is that feeling of the artists expressing themselves, but then they feel that rejection almost. They feel like they're not validated for expressing who they are because you're coming from that vulnerable space, almost opening yourself up, and that's to an empty room for like two people snapping. Yeah. <laughs> not, nothing really going on there. But the really interesting point you identified, I think, is you know, how do you leverage creatives better to the point where they match with their audiences, which is happening at Discord and other areas, kind of, which is really awesome. Yeah. There's so many creative people out there that are singing their souls out to get recognized. And mm-hmm. It falls on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Maybe potentially that's where some of the corruption in the music industry happens too. There's people who are true artists can silence them with the right people and get leverage and attention. There's all the power dynamics in that space, which is like totally runs contrary to artwork that's like boundless and the manifestation of love and connection. And we're delivering it to the culture. Sometimes it's a system squad, potentially. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Like that there's a lot of I mean a lot of like big like artists are not the people who are even writing the music or producing the music. It's like they are an industry like a, they are a cog in the business and they are used as a, like a figurehead and it's not yeah. their art and it's weird. It's like, cause like, I'm, just an example. And I'm not hating on this artist at all. I personally love her music. Um, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan too. Like I love pop music so much. Um, 
but like I read Olivia Rodrigo's Spotify bio, and it was like, hey, just like an 18 year old making music in my garage with my friends. And I was like, that's not true. Like, <laughs> you could, I see, I'm looking at the credits in the songs. There's like eight songwriters, four different producers, like editors, uh, A and R people. Like, these, this music was made with a massive industry team. It had like half a billion dollars, not half a billion, half a million dollars of promotion behind it. Like, but the whole idea is for it to be this image of this young girl who has this incredible talent. And she's, don't get me wrong, she's an amazing singer, great artist, whatever. But there are so many of hers who don't have that, who are amazing artists, and who are just making music in their in their garage with their friends, and they don't get that, and that's just it's just the way it is. Like it's it just is it takes a lot of money uh, in music. Yeah, a lot of resources. A lot of time. Yeah. Again, this might be slipping back into the uh, the segment. Things we don't know how to talk about. <laughs> Let's open it back up. <laughs> well, I think you're qualified to talk about it, but what I'm about to ask, I meant to be qualified. Like, how the fuck? How do you go about? correcting that or is that the ageless question of artists you know is is that correctable giving due credit to artists that you know are, are genuine and or is that just the industry it's an industry and the people that have the right uh connections and uh wherewithal to make something popular they're yeah. the ones that get the, the recognition you that's know? the leverage or however part the platforms access and it is another way of working that mm. platform now mm. yeah definitely a mix i mean because there are very genuine artists who make it like a lot a lot of really great artists are um really authentic and uh did not start off with like a huge boost from the industry um and a lot of those people had been making music for years and that just goes back to the if you love it you're going to do it for a very long time like probably your whole life and eventually there's hmm, not a terrible chance that some good things will happen along the way. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's both. Yeah. Well, Alex, what are you looking forward to in the immediate future? I know you said you have some tracks on the way. Can you give us information on those? Yes, I have okay, two cool. tracks, <laughs> uh, two tracks coming out in the next two months. Uh, they're both with artists who are um, more recognized in the EDM scene as vocalists. So I'm okay. really excited to work with both of them. Um, they're both incredibly talented. They sent over awesome vocals. Uh, one of the songs, the next song is going to be a much more clubby, like big bass line, big kick kind oh, of yeah. uh, song. So way different than By the Sea. <laughs> and the one after that is going to be a future-based track. So I do know that subgenre. I can, I can recognize that. Um, so both of those will be coming out this fall. Um, Don't know what else to say about those. Yeah, I hope they're, they're going to be good. I'm, I'm excited for those. <laughs> about that future bass track, though. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm a future bass head. Um, I didn't know really? that. Really? Okay, sweet. But yeah, I just like like gravitated towards those artists, and then somebody pointed out, they're like, oh, that's all future bass. I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it took me a while to figure out what the genre was. Like, I was definitely listening to it before I knew what it was. Yeah. Um, cool genre. Yeah, it is. I think it's fun. I, I mean, I don't know. Again, with the genres, it's so fluid. It's like, what, you know, but I do. I think it's a fun genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as, like, uh, life stuff, what do you have coming up for yourself as a person? 
as far as the eye can see, it's just kind of running this, in computer science terms, running the algorithm. Um, I'm just going to keep putting songs out every month, forever, probably, <laughs> until I die. Uh, I got some big candle. Well, okay, so one cool thing is I'm not a big enough artist to get into music festivals to play music festivals, but I am able to get into music festivals to sell candles. So nice. I'm going up to a music festival, a folk music festival in Massachusetts in next week. Um, and then there's a couple of EDM festivals on the East Coast that I was invited to sell candles at. So going to try my hand at networking in those places. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But really big crowds at a lot of these places. There's a one festival that I'm doing that is expected to have between 100 and 150,000 people. So going to make a lot of candles and hope to sell enough to <laughs> hire some more singers for my songs. <laughs> yes. That's so rad. Just infiltrate, you know, yep. get, your, get your feet in there. Oh, yeah, visitor. Kitty make an appearance. Yeah. What's Kitty's name? Uh, Kitty's name is Nani. Her full name is Rhiannon, uh, named after the Fleetwood Mac song. Yes. Music, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the tail has to be touching you. I recognize nope, that. Goodness. <laughs> okay. Hopefully she didn't. Uh... Yeah. My okay. human. My human. Well, <laughs> Alex, I know it is quite uh, a bit later where you're at. <laughs> so I want to say thank you so much for uh, allowing this conversation to happen. I'm, I'm so glad to see that you're doing what you love. And it's really inspiring, inspiring to hear from people that are doing that. So, um, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I mean, I mean, I expect to see huge things from you, but the, the work and dedication you're putting in is making that happen. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for the kind words, the conversation, bringing me on in the first place. Yeah. Loved the episodes that I had listened to before. So I'm excited to listen to more of y'all's episodes and uh, honored to be a part of it. Cool, man. And before we, uh, before we get you off, yes. too, where, can we, where can we follow you? Where can people find you? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, number one way... Go follow me on Spotify, Alex Bochel. Search my name. If you just Google my name, everything comes up. I'm the only Alex Bochel that pretty much exists. So, cool. Um, but every platform. <laughs> every platform. Uh, and then we will take you up if you don't mind on that um, follow-up interview in a couple of years, so we can drink some coffee in the morning. Let's do it. Really caffeinated. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll have enough money to fly out to Arizona. We could do something in person. <laughs> oh, dude, that would be incredible. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, Alex. Um, we'll let you get some rest. Thank you again. Appreciate you. We'll cheers to end it. And that concludes our episode with Alex Bochel. Next week, we sit down and share a cup of coffee with a production and DJ group from Scottsdale, Arizona that is currently going through a transformation process. They were previously called Storytime. And they are now going by Dream Code. And we get into a lot of why that is and uh, what they're doing to, to make that transformation. But until then, stay caffeinated.